everyone, and welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and my co-host, who has never been mistaken for anything less than a one-of-a-kind, it's Lydia. I think you might have me mistaken for somebody else in this case, though. (laughs) (laughs) In you... keeping with the theme of the movie. Oh, oh now I get it. Oh, <laughs> uh, see? <laughs> I, was, I was getting ready to go, no, Lydia, you're one of them. No, and really here you are, you... you're oh, playing on the gag. I'm, right. You're playing on my gag that I get. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, well, welcome, Lydia. Thank you very much for joining me once again. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and thank to all our listeners for tuning in once again. Just to remind you, in case you don't already know, if you're finding us for the first time or if you'd like to tell anyone about the show, you can listen to us by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play, and just about any you know podcast catcher that you can, you can find. You can plug us in. We'll, you'll find us. And if any of those outlets allow you to rate and review us, I would appreciate it if you would do so. Uh, preferably something nice. <laughs> <laughs> but honesty above all. Honesty, honesty. above all. <laughs> Uh, but that is a great way in any of those places. That's a great way for other people to discover the podcast. So that's about the only way. If word of mouth and getting us up and any kind of ratings or anything is about the only way people really can find us. So I really would appreciate it. You can also join our Facebook group. If you are a Facebook user, you can go to facebook.com and search for Orphan Entertainment. If you have any comments or feedback about this or any episode, uh, you can send that to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. Feel free to type out an email, or if you'd like, record an MP3 or something like that and send it. That'd be awesome to actually hear your voice. And we do have a YouTube page where I post many of the films that we've discussed here on Orphan Entertainment. So you can go there and subscribe, and you'll know a little ahead of everybody what movie we're going to be talking about. I think that's all I've got. I don't have any ho- other housekeeping or anything like that. So let's go ahead and listen to a five-minute mystery. And you'll also hear a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will discuss 1936's Three of a Kind. Another five-minute mystery. showtime in a downstairs restaurant in Lower New York. Pat Logan, private detective, and his girl Friday, Diana Bellows, are out for an evening's entertainment. Two more, Tony. Sure, Mr. Logan. You have it right away. Oh, Pat, isn't it wonderful? Whole evening to ourselves. No murders, no robberies, nothing but fun. Well, I promised you this evening out, didn't I? As soon as the Morrison case was closed. I know, Pat. I think maybe that's why I like you so. Like me? Well, maybe a little more. Mr. Logan, Mr. Logan. <laughs> yes, Tony, what's the matter? No more antipasto? No, Mr. Logan, it's worse than that. Something terrible. Well, what is it? What's happened? In the back room, Joe Mattelli, the owner of this place. He's just been shot. All right, Tony. And you, Mr. Kosky. I'd like to talk to both of you in here. Uh, Diane, the coroner will be here any minute. He might need your help. All right, Pat, I'll go wait for him. Now then... Let's get this story straight. Mr. Kosky, Tony tells me you discovered the body. That's right. I just left Joe not more than three or four minutes before. 
He'd been in a depressed mood for days over some money he owed, but the, the suicide really gives me a turn. How soon would you say you got to the body after the shot was fired, Annie? Well, just a matter of seconds. I was in the next room when I heard the shot. I ran in just as Joe was slumping to the floor. And the gun, this gun right here, was in his hand. Uh, that's right, Mr. Logan. It dropped right then when he fell. Uh-huh. And uh, you, Tony? Yeah, I, I heard the shots, too, just as I was coming up from the wine cellar. When I come in, Kosky was standing over Joe. Mm-hmm. I noticed this gun is a police special, the regulation kind for the police department. Anyone know how come it came to be in Joe's possession? Yeah, he had it for some time, Mr. Logan. He had a brother-in-law in the forest and borrowed it for protection. And now he uses it to commit suicide with. Rather ironic, I should say. Yeah, it is all right. Pat. Uh, yes, Diane. The coroner just moved the bullet. He thought you'd probably want to look at it. Here it is. Yes. Fine. Hmm. Forty-five caliber. Fired at close range. Well, if you want anything more, I'll stick hey, around. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Diane, you're okay. sure this is the bullet? The suicide bullet itself? Well, of course, Pat. Why not? I... Just that this little bullet changes the whole picture. Uh, what do you mean? Just this, Mr. Kosky. Joe Michelli didn't commit suicide any more than I did. He was murdered. I thought there was something funny here. Murdered? Yes, Mr. Kosky, murdered. And I think you're in for another surprise right on top of that one. Because you're under arrest, Kosky, for that same murder. So the supposed suicide was murder after all, and Mike Kosky is under arrest. Do you know the clue? In a moment, we'll hear, but first... What the hell is this, the wonderful Billy Flynn? Just some podcast that's supposed to be geeky, podcasting's Rich Sigfrit. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. Psst, screw that noise. I'm not going to try it. Hey, Flinstress, let's get Mikey. Do you mean critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason, who hosts the Beer Power Time Machine podcast? Yeah, but he won't listen. He hates everything. Hi, I'm critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason. I don't often listen to podcasts, but when I do, make mine Geek Radio Daily. Hey, hey man, that, that's a different promo. Between love and madness lies Geek Radio Daily. That's kind of accurate. There are some things money can't buy. GRD is free online. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Geek Radio Daily. Eh, we'll take it. Geek Radio Daily. All the geek without the weight. GeekRadioDaily.com and now, back to our mystery. What's the matter with you, Logan? Everything checks, doesn't it? Yes, Kosky, everything checks. You testified when you entered the room a moment before Mutelli fell to the floor. This suicide gun was still in his hands. So what? That gun was not the death weapon, Kosky. And this bullet proves it. You might be interested to know all regulation police guns, like the one Mutelli was supposed to have killed himself with, are thirty-eight calibers. And this bullet, the death bullet, is a forty-five. It just wouldn't fit. <laughs> Welcome back. Yes, Three of a Kind was produced by Invincible Pictures and released in 1936. It stars Evelyn Knapp as Barbara Penfield, Chick Chandler as Jerry Bassett, Bradley Page as Rodney Randall, uh, Richard Carl as F. Thorndike Penfield, 
Burton Churchill as Mr. Cornelius and Patricia Farr as Prudence Cornelius. Those are our, our main cast. We have a big cast in this film. We've actually had several films in a row where the cast has been pretty small, and this one's got a lot of people in it. <laughs> it does. Even though most of the parts are quite short, there are a lot of people. There's very little information of note that, that I could find anyway about this film or the actors in it. I, I think uh, we were discussing just before we kind of started recording that they are all just kind of uh, contract actors, just kind of working for the studio. None of them, or most of them, didn't do anything other than just some contract work. They played, you know, Many of them were successful at what they did, but nothing really stand out or anything. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, one... Oh, Go I was going to say the one person who actually kind of went on to do anything was the main character, or the main actor, I should say, uh, who's Chick Chandler, and he ended up being in loads of TV shows. Uh, older ones, obviously, like Bonanza and Lassie, um, Mr. Ed, like all of that classic late-night TV, you'll probably see him in one of those episodes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, he was very prolific. Yeah, none of the actors were really any kind of one-shot actors. They are all very prolific in their work and did continue to find work in other films and like you were saying in television uh, one interesting fact that I found Burton Churchill uh, who I said as I said uh, plays uh, Mr. Cornelius which we will get into through the synopsis here he actually helped to start a group called the Maskers Club in 1925 and that group was formed by six actors which included himself Charles Miller Grant Mitchell Ralph Morgan and Alden Gay uh, and Kenneth Thompson, to round out the six. These guys were uh, discontent with the grueling work hours of the Hollywood studios. So this group laid the groundwork for what would become the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, interesting. That's not hugely, that's not hugely surprising considering of Burton Churchill's 131 or so credits. Uh, he did approximately 125 of them in a nine-year period. <laughs> It's a lot uh, yeah. of movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so the long the Screen Actors Guild, which is effectively a trade union, that that created a huge shift in the work ethics and policies within Hollywood. So, you know, while like I said, they were just kind of you know contract and character actors, at least one of them had a huge impact on Hollywood and the films yeah. that would come. Definitely. So since I couldn't find a lot of information about this film or anyone else other than that, I thought I'd give you a little factoids and put this film kind of in context in the, the time that it was made, because some of it is kind of important to what we're going to be seeing. Uh, just remind everybody, 1936 is just towards the end of the Great Depression that uh, ran for about a decade between 1929 and 1939. So it, America was starting to get itself back on the feet by 1936. Wasn't quite there yet, but getting there. The thousand dollars, which plays a very big role in this film, yeah. as we'll, we'll get into, in 1936, that had the same buying power as about 18 grand today. So that was a good chunk of change. Yeah. With that money, a few things that you could uh, you could put it towards. The average cost of a new home was just under four grand. The average wage per year was just a little over $2,000. Cost of a gallon of gas, 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> a loaf of bread was only 8 cents. A pound of hamburger meat, that would cost you 12 cents. And a Studebaker car, you could get for just under $700. 
and Studebaker was a, a fine automobile. I'm not sure. Again, we'll get into the synopsis. There's a very pretty car. I couldn't figure out what make it was, but it could very well have been a Studebaker or a Cadillac. <laughs> Would it cost you just under $1,000 uh, in today's money? Or, uh, excuse me, in 1936. So... Just give you an idea where some of the money that we're going to be talking about would go to for our for our character. So let's see. That's all the little factoids I got. Um, unless you got anything else, I think we can go ahead and get into the synopsis. No, I think you have it. The only other mention that would be that uh, if <laughs> that you know we're talking a thousand dollars and uh, our main character and his best buddy are making thirteen hundred dollars a year, so it's almost a year's paycheck for him. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay, Three of a Kind from 1936. The film opens at the office of F. Thorndike Penfield, owner and president of Penfield Peerless Laundry. Mr. Penfield's daughter, uh, who is Barbara, or Babs, is there trying to get her father to invest in her uh, boyfriend Rodney Randall's business venture. Or Randy Rodnell, as her dad says. <laughs> <laughs> or nincompoop, as he agrees. Yeah, nincompoop. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Penfield has not met the man, and he says he has no intention to. He's completely against this this idea, and he's sure that this Randall fella is a schemer and has pulled the wool over Babs' eyes. Well, Babs says that she will use her money to help Randall, and she is going to marry him. And then she storms out. Well, the whole time that this conversation's been going on, Penfield's assistant, Mr. Fash, has been in the room holding a rather large trophy cup and trying to get Penfield's attention. I'm impressed that you caught his name. I never did. All, oh, all three yes. times I've watched it, I've never caught his name. Uh, if, if not for IMDb, crediting <laughs> somebody as Fash and then watching the film again and then he, it actually gets mentioned a couple times, like, oh, that's what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Penfield tells Flash, or tells Fash, to close or tie up all of his daughter's accounts. And Fash finally gets a chance to tell Penfield what it was he's been trying to tell him this whole time, that this is the annual award day, and the entire company is waiting in the courtyard for Penfield to give the Penfield Cup to this year's winner. Well, meanwhile, while, this, while he's having this conversation with Fash, Babs calls up Rodney Randall, who's staying at a rather fancy hotel, the Royal Valley Hotel in Palm Springs, I believe it was. I want to speak to Mr. Rodney Randall. That's right. Well, I, I'm afraid we can't, dear. Babs, dear, how many times have I told you that I will not marry a woman unless I can support her properly? Besides, I can't come to the city now. Well, if you must know, I haven't enough money to get out of the hotel. No, I'll just have to stay here till I can find some suck, uh, uh, backer for my subdivision. Well, how much do you owe, darling? Oh, well, don't worry about that. I'll get it to you somehow. Yes. I'll bring it to you today. And I love you, too. <laughs> Goodbye. How do you like that, though? The, the hotel, you apparently can stay in a hotel and you don't have to worry about paying it until you check out. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, if you think about it, I actually was going to bring that up. Before credit cards existed, the only thing they had to go on was your name. And mm -hmm. especially really well-known hotels like this wouldn't, or, you know, fancy hotels wouldn't insult their guests by asking them to pay ahead of time. If you were paying for a room ahead of time, you were probably going to a seedy hotel for something that polite society would not talk about. 
So this is very common act, um, very common in this time where people will just check in using whatever name, and they wouldn't even be asked for an ID because, of course, then they didn't have photo IDs either. It was kind of pointless. Yeah, really. I just, I just love that idea that you just keep staying there and yes. <laughs> and if you can't worry afford to check out, yeah, if you can't afford to check out, you just stay yeah. <laughs> until they throw you out, basically. Yeah, exactly. Until the police come and uh, escort you out, I guess. Until they figure out that you're, you know, just a leech. <laughs> right. Well, we get to see the award ceremony back at Penfields. The trophy goes to a sort of MVP employee, kind of a most important, a most important employee kind of thing, for all his hard work. Uh, Mr. Jerry Bassett is actually the winner this year. Uh, <laughs> although, but Jerry, although Mr. Penfield can't pronounce his name, it's Fawcett or Balsett or Bansett. <laughs> <laughs> he never does get it quite right. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Mr. Penfield's kind of the comedy relief of the film. Yes, there's some great lines between him and his daughter, more Barbara, kind of being sharp, picking up on things that he says and kind of repeating them back to him. Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, Mr. Jerry Bassett, who, who wins this prize, he isn't even there. Uh, <laughs> he's out on a run, and he's due back in... Any minute. I think they even say four minutes or something like that. Two minutes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we cut to Jerry driving his way back. He and his partner, who I think's name was, or his nickname was Beef. His partner's, his, his friend there. Yeah. Yeah, surprisingly, yes. his friend doesn't play a big role in this film like you might expect it to at this <laughs> point, but I think they call him Beef. Yeah, he is called Beef. You're right. Well, he and Beef <laughs> talk <laughs> as they drive, and we discover that Jerry has bigger plans than driving a truck. Six pairs of socks, nine hankies, a couple of drawers, couple of shorts. Hey, looky. Look at what? Look at it. Well, what's wrong with it? Brand new, ain't it? That makes 18 brand new silk shirts that guy's had since March. And each one of them costing more than I make in a week. Yeah, and those shirts earn him more than we both make in a year. Huh? You heard me. How do you figure? How can a shirt earn dough for it? It's front, my boy. Wind addressing. Believe me, if I ever get a bankroll, I'll... Well, I'll have to find us front in town. I don't get you. It's simple. The guy that owns those shirts dresses like a million bucks. So he'll have a million someday. You know, it isn't what you got in this world that counts, Beef. It's what you look like. Oh, you're wrong, Jerry. To get to be a big shot, you got to work harder than anybody else and show the boss how good you are. Oh, sure, sure. I tried that, didn't I? I set up nights working out that new flat rate system, and what happened? Well... Bash took all the credit for it. Now I got a tougher route. Now look at us. We dress like 30 bucks a week, and what do we get? 25. Right. Now if I were to put on that shirt and the clothes that go with it, what do you suppose I'd be able to get? A pain in the neck. This guy wears a 14 collar. And I love this philosophy from this clip where he says, and I think it was... It was. It's still true today, but I think it was even more so true back in this time. If you dressed like somebody that was up and coming, people believed you were up and coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, too, you know, fashion Clothes is Clothes make the man. You're yes, right. exactly. You walk into a place dressed a certain way, and you're going to be treated a certain way. Right, exactly. 
yeah, there's definitely a difference between if you walk in something with you know name brand clothes versus you walk in with uh, J.C. Penney store brand, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or Walmart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People can, yeah, you know, the, the the people they can they can smell the money, I guess. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, Jerry makes it back to the ceremony, and Penfield hands him the trophy, and he has another award in a way of an offer. He can choose between an envelope with a thousand dollars. Or 11 shares of Penfield stock. So as I was saying, they're offering nearly 20 grand Mm -hmm. in both cash or stock options. Mm -hmm. And each stock is worth $100, he says. Right, so about $1,100. So the stock is actually technically worth more. But I I found it interesting that we are still, like I was saying, right at the end of the Great Depression. There's not a lot of confidence that any company is going to be around from day to day. Yes. (laughs) Which I think is... Partly the point of this is, even though it technically is, you know, a, a big recognition from Penfield, you're really expected to take the shares. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Going right to the next thing, Jerry snags the cash, much to Penfield's <laughs> surprise. And not only does he take the cash, he quits the company in very grand fashion. <laughs> yes. I don't want any shares in any laundry. I'm fed up with laundries, and I'm sick and tired of dirty clothes and cranky customers. I'm taking the money, and you, sir, can take the laundry, the trucks, stock, mangles and all, wrap them neatly into a laundry bag, and... But you, you don't understand! Cash! Call him back and fire him! Fire him and don't call him back! Well, we next see Jerry at a tailor's. He's trying on and buying some new suits. He Some tells secondhand his, new suits, even. <laughs> were they? Were they secondhand new suits? Yeah, I it's a secondhand tailor. Oh, very cool! Brand I didn't new catch that. secondhand fancy duds. <laughs> nice. Well, he and his friend Beef there is back. He, he tells uh, his friend that not only is he going to buy a bunch of suits, he wants a set of golf clubs, some new luggage, nice piece of jewelry, and a snappy car. Well, this is where Beef offers to to help. He actually he insists that he go and buy the secondhand car. He grabs some cash from Jerry's wallet and heads off. I think he grabs all the cash from Jerry's wallet, actually. Oh, actually, he does, doesn't he? I think so. But Jerry can't really do anything because he's in a suit filled with pins with the uh, tailor right there. I got a kind of kick out of the tailor. What was it he was trying to say when he asked the tailor, how do you think I look? And he, you look stupid. You you look great. Stupendous (laughs) or something like that. He kept trying. Yeah, Yeah. he kept trying to say this word and he couldn't get it out. Magnificent or stupendous, yep. Let's see. Well, speaking of cars, Babs pulls up to Doc Adams' secondhand car lot, and she's looking to sell her fancy convertible in order to get some cash, because obviously all her accounts have been frozen by her father. And after some discussion and some wheeling and and some schooling on what will and won't sell in the uh, 1936 (laughs) car market, uh, Doc Adams and Babs come to a potential deal. I, I love this. He, she pulls in and he's, you know, makes a big deal out of, oh, I'm the honest, you know, I'm the most honest guy and everybody knows I'm honest, Doc Adams. And then she says, well, I'd like to sell my car. And he goes, hmm, well, it's a cream puff. <laughs> it's it's too nice for me to be able to sell to the average person. Mm-hmm. I can't give no, you as much I, for it as I could for somebody with, oh, say 10,000 miles on it. Yeah, I kind of like that. It was like, it kind of. It's like, you know, actually, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, it's totally a scam. That's totally not true. He just doesn't want to pay her for it. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It kind of made sense to me. That's kind of weird. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I need to reevaluate the car I just bought now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk later. 
Well, while all of this is going on, a- another car pulls up across the street. Wait a minute, my dear, wait a minute. What are we stopping here for? Well, I just happened to recollect, my dear, that a dear old pal and bosom friend of mine runs that jalopy joint over there. Good old Doc Adams. That's the name, all right. But what's any old friend of yours doing out of jail? <clears throat> now, now, my dear. Have a little respect for your father, please. I'm sorry. You suppose he's good for a touch? Friend like old Doc? My dear, we're practically sitting down to lunch at the Ritz right now. I know. Let's make it five full dinners at the beanery instead. Patience, my dear, patience. While your pappy puts the bee on old Doc Adams. Good luck, Pop. I love this line where he says, well, what does he say we'll be eating at the... um..." the Ritz, and she says, how about just five meals at the Beans or something like that? <laughs> yeah, she just she just wants some, any kind of food and a roof over her head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doc Adams and Babs uh, take a look at an old car, and Adams insists on giving Babs a test drive. The man from the car tries to talk to Adams, but Adams pushes him off and drives away. And I think I may have skipped the part. The, the part of the wheeling and dealing was eventually um, he would be willing to buy her car if she would take one of his older cars off his hands, I guess. Yes, give, give her a little cash and one of his cars. Right. So anyway, the man from the car, we, I think by this time we find out his, his last name is Cornelius. He sits down to wait for Adams to return. As it happens, Jerry's friend, uh, I, I keep saying Jerry's friend because I didn't find out his name was Beef until the end. <laughs> He strolls up and eyes Babs' car. Mistaking this man for the lot owner, he offers him 400 bucks, and the man happily accepts. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Hey, what's the deal? As soon as he says yes, <laughs> yes. what's the deal? I, and I love this. Like, you kind of, when, when Beef grabs Jerry's money and takes off to go buy a car, I mentally facepalmed. I was like, oh, no, here we go. You know, he's going to end up with some old jalopy that can't get around. But sure enough, he comes back with a one-month-old brand spanking new gorgeous car for 400 bucks yeah which i guess was a pretty good deal like i was saying a brand new car would cost about twice that yeah Yeah. and i'm starting to think maybe jerry's the luckiest guy in the city right now (laughs) (laughs) absolutely how about it pop do we do we i'll say we do prudence darling and we're going to get our working clothes out of hock pop you're wonderful wait to see me in my frock coat again Colonel Cornelius of the Kentucky Corneliuses. Oh, Pop, make it the Russian Grand Duke. I get so balled up on that southern accent stuff. Yes, darling, and you're not so hot as Algatanovich either. Never mind, honey. Our luck has turned. Babs and Doc Adams get back from their drive, and uh, Babs quickly realizes that uh, her car is gone. Actually, I'm surprised they were able to get out of the lot. She parked right in the middle of the drive. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure how they got out, but at least she noticed that they pulled right in, and her car is no longer there. Adams suggests that uh, she report it stolen and then uh, get the insurance money. Of course, that'll take her 90 days, but Babs says she needs the money now. Today. Oh, Adams offers the car that they that they drove and a little extra cash if she'll sell him the diamond ring she's wearing. Which, you know, she eventually she agrees. So they go in to report the car and uh, make a fill out a bill of sale for the ring and the car. Babs drives off in her uh, just about perfect quote unquote new used car. So of course the next scene is her broken down on the side of the road <laughs> with a mechanic taking a look at it. And uh, he has some bad news. 
Excuse me. That's all right. Uh, tell me the worst, Doctor. Will she live? Huh? What's the bad news? Well, the water jacket's busted and the connecting rod bearings are shot along with two of the mains. The cylinders are out and nine hundredths easy. The ignition wiring is mostly rotted and half of the teeth have gone off your transmission and differential gear. Your frame has sprung out of line and, well, outside of that... Never mind, uh, never mind. Tell me, could I drive it as far as the Royal Valley Hotel? Lady, you couldn't push it that far. Yeah, everything that guy says, it's amazing the car even made it from the lot. Yeah, I love <laughs> I, I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed that Adams let them take it for a test drive. Right. I love it that, you know, he sa- she says, can I drive it there? And he goes, lady, you couldn't push it there. And <laughs> 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 cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much cash she, or how much, you know, that thing was worth, but she ends up getting $5 for it as, yeah. as junk. <laughs> it is worth noting that every other car on that lot had a down payment higher than the $50 down payment for that car. So you know it was the worst car on the lot. (laughs) Well, Bab sets out to see if she can hitchhike her way to the hotel. She can't get a ride with the tow truck driver there because apparently last time he did that, his wife got really jealous. (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be more to that story. Oh, I know. That's like a whole other movie. Yeah. Well, Babs isn't having much luck until uh, Jerry happens along in his new spiffy convertible. I, I love this, too, because you, she's, you know, trying to thumb a ride, and, and she's just this, she's, I do really like her. She's just this real practical, kind of straightforward girl that knows what she wants, but she's not, like, sleazy about it. Mm-hmm. And Jerry stops when he sees her lifting up her skirt a little bit, but she's lifting up her skirt to clean her skirt off because it's got something on it. I love it that she's not there, you know, hitching up a leg. She's like legitimately trying to clean it. And he, of course, pulls over when everybody else passed up. I I enjoy kind of the quick wit between the two of them. He pulls yeah. up and she she's yeah she's trying to smudge it off just doing the little spit on a hanky kind of thing and yeah. he's like ah oh, can i give you a hand and she's surprised and she Don't throws her skirt back under before you come into a lady's boudoir <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and his reply sorry but the door was open the door was open <laughs> it's actually very it was kind of like very cute yes so he offers babs a lift and she notices the car looks just like hers yeah. But, you know, that must be a coincidence because even as Jerry says, well, there are a lot of them. (laughs) Yes. Poor Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jerry helps with her luggage and notices the monogram BP. Babs introduces herself as Beatrice Payne. (laughs) The couple, they arrive at the hotel and each check in separately. When they check in, the you know, he checks in and everything's fine. And then she goes ahead, I'll check in myself. And he's like, uh, he thinks that she's just some hitchhiker with not a dime to her name. Yeah. And he's like, hey, the price is here. I don't know. Oh, I'll worry about that when I check out. You can I, get I, arrested. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love their interchange, though, because even though he's, like, kind of standing under his breath, he's kind of teasing her, too. He's yeah. not really suspicious of her quite yet. Right. A little later, Babs has some dinner with Randall. Randall guilts Babs a bit uh, that maybe she just didn't try hard enough with her father. Uh, she suggests that he try to get some investors from this ho- from the hotel guest. He says, what do you even think I've been doing all weekend? <laughs> he says, no one will give him any money. Babs then thinks that Jerry Bassett might be able to help, and the two go off to find him. Actually, before they go off, when he's describing all the money that is around <laughs> them, he is he's, kind of... Uh, 
He's yeah, he's yeah. writing it down on the back <laughs> of a menu. He's pointing these people out, and he's like, "Oh, see that guy? He's going to inherit nine million dollars next Tuesday. That guy's <laughs> worth you know six and a half million dollars." And it, yeah, and he's kind of jotting down these figures on the back of a menu. So they leave the table, and they of course leave this this now defaced menu on the on the thing, <laughs> and they leave. Cornelius and Prudence come in, and they sit down at that same table. As they're talking, Cornelius notices the dollar amounts that have been written down by Randall. I love, I, the Prudence is just, she just cracks me up through this whole thing where she keeps trying to switch over to being a Russian and she's supposed to be in this sweet Southern Belle. Yeah. And she just keeps, you know, I'll have a sh- what were you going to have? I was going to have a shot of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wants to be the, she wants to be the daughter of the Russian diplomat or whatever. And he, you're supposed to be the, the sweet daughter of the Kentucky Colonel. <laughs> yes. Two very different roles, but she obviously has a favorite. (laughs) Well, after seeing these figures, Cornelius starts planning on some way to meet whoever it was that wrote this stuff down. Because he, he, I think he actually says, because you are going to fall in love with them. (laughs) Yes. Little later, Jerry comes into the lobby and spots Babs. He offers five bucks to a, a nearby bellhop to find out what room she's in and any other information he can dig up. Jerry then walks by Babs, as if he didn't see her, who w- and, and she's there sitting next to Randall. Oh, hello, Mr. Bassett. Oh, how do you do? Rod, this is the Good Samaritan I was telling you about. Oh, really? Well, I certainly want to thank you. Oh, it's no trouble at all. Now that you two shaken hands, may I introduce you? Uh, Mr. Bassett, Mr. Randall. How do you do? Not the J. Walter Bassett. Yes, uh, I'm J. Walter Bassett. You've uh, heard of me? Well, who hasn't? Now, boys, please, don't start talking business. You know, Rodney can never take his mind off of making money. I'm sorry, but when you're on the verge of a big deal... Oh, I should say I do know. Right now, for instance... Shall we go out on the terrace? So did you pick up in this where she's, like, continually hinting at business, even though she's pretending to not want them to say anything about it? Oh, don't talk business. Oh, he always talks business. Don't start talking business now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, she's she's as much of a player as Cornelius and Prudence. <laughs> Definitely. Let's see, speaking of Cornelius, he manages to get Randall's name from uh, one of the desk clerks, and he arranges a meeting. Uh, this pulls Randall away from Babs and Jerry, giving Babs and Jerry time to get to know each other. Cornelius and Prudence have a pretty good act cooked up for Randall's benefit. Uh, pardon me, uh, Colonel Cornelius? At your service, sir. Uh, Mr. Randall, I believe. Yes. Uh, uh, Prudence, dear, I want to introduce you to the gentleman we've been waiting for, Mr. Ebenezer Randall. I'm delighted, sir. I'm sorry, Colonel, there's been some mistake. I'm, I'm Rodney Randall. Rodney Randall? Yes. Well, well, swap me for Yankee, sir. <laughs> well, I never dreamed there could be two Mr. Randalls. I presumed, of course, that you were the emissary from the United Tobacco Growers. I'm sorry, no, I... I'm the subdivision, Randall. Oh, well, I'm mighty glad to make your acquaintance, sir. Thank you. And I'm pleased that the other Mr. Randall ain't shown up tonight. I, I'm a little bit too tired to argify with him. Oh, Pappy, why don't you just let them other growers have their way? What? And bust the tobacco market wide open? Why, honey, you know I grow more than all the others put together. But that wire you had from Washington, from the president. Now, listen, honey, child, you let the president run the nation and I'll run the tobacco business. And I be... 
Well, I, I beg your pardon, sir, for losing my temper in your presence. But it gets so tarnation mad. Happy. Uh, I apologize again, sir. That's quite all right, Colonel. I understand exactly how you feel. Do you indeed, sir? Absolutely. I realize how annoying the small fry of competition can be. Mr. Randall, you're a man after my own heart. I'm humbly ask that you'll do my daughter and myself the honor of... Uh, Joining us at the bar in a small refreshment? It'll be a pleasure, Colonel. Uh, come, come, darling. I love it. It's so slick, though. What a great way to get introduced to somebody without seeming to want to get introduced to them. It was actually very good. Yeah, I will, I will agree there. <laughs> well, while Cornelius and Prudence keep Randall busy, Jerry and Babs enjoy the moonlight on the terrace. Babs inquires about what sort of business ventures Jerry is involved in. He tells us that he's a kind of in-between projects, but the last one he left very successfully. Uh, he and associates cleaned up. <laughs> 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 they, they left all the businessmen in the city with hardly a shirt on their backs. <laughs> <laughs> a bellhop arrives with a note for Babs. It's from Randall, and it says that he's going to be a while. So Jerry asks Babs to join him in a walk through the gardens. She agrees, somewhat reluctantly, uh, but says she has to go get a wrap. I'd like she, she sort of tries to get out of it, but not really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While she is gone, the bellhop that was hired by Jerry shows up with some information. Well, Sherlock, did you find out anything? You bet I did. She's a guest. Room 203. I slipped in while she was out. She got a lot of swell clothes, a pip of a dresser set, and some peachy perfume, too. Here, smell. E-P-U. Kind of gets you, don't it? Sure. What else did you find out? Her real name's Barbara Penfield. Barbara Pen... Oh, don't be silly. I saw her signature on the register card. She's old F. Thorndike Penfield's daughter. But that little hitchhiker? Why, she's no more Penfield's daughter than I am. Four-flusher, huh? Maybe I better tell the manager. Oh, no, don't do that. Not yet. You just keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. Now, go on. Okay, boss. So, yeah, so Jerry still, even though the bellhop declares it, she, now he thinks that Babs is, uh pretending to be the daughter of Mr. Con Benfield. artist, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Babs returns and the two leave for their walk. As they walk, Jerry asks Babs how long she thinks she's going to be able to keep up the charade of pretending to be Barbara Penfield. Eventually, Randall will find out that she's just some girl after his money. Jerry begs her to go straight. She protests and says, I think it's too late for me. But Barry just... Jerry says he'll do anything he can to help. So, Babs, I'll try. That's so sweet. I love it. Well, oh, okay then. <laughs> Elsewhere, Randall was making some moves on Prudence, which is noticed by Cornelius, who he kind of uh, nods approvingly. I love that. So they're sitting here on this bench, and she says, I just don't know what my, my pappy would say if he saw us like this. And Randall moves in closer and says, what if he saw us like this? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the whole time Cornelius is watching, so we yeah. know what he would say. <laughs> Good job. Yep, his plan is working perfectly. <laughs> so I love it. I mean, at this point, you've got... A con artist trying to con another con artist who's also trying to con that con artist. In the mix of it, you've got two relatively innocent people, but one of them's actually trying to con the others into getting him a job. And then yeah. you've got Babs, who's presumably a con artist, but actually is who she says she is. <laughs> it's so convoluted, it cracks me up. 
complicate matters, out front, Mr. Penfield arrives at the hotel (laughs) and makes quite a commotion when no one comes out to help with the bags. He has his driver honk the horn until someone shows up. And, oh, thank God, horns do not sound like they did in 1936. (laughs) That's so annoying. Oh, my goodness. It's almost almost as bad as the uh, phone from uh, Secret Agent. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Randall overhears uh, the driver call the man Penfield, which, of course, unsettles Randall a little bit. And he says a quick goodbye to Prudence and runs off. <laughs> it's, and he still, it, I think they mention it in just a moment, but Mr. Penfield still has never actually seen Randall. Exactly. Back with Jerry and Babs, Jerry is telling her that once he is settled in a, in a good project, he'll find a nice, honest job for her. <laughs> Randall, from the bushes, kind of gets Babs' attention, and Babs uh, makes up a, a story that she uh, lost her compact somewhere. She may have left it back on the bench. So Jerry, being the gentleman, he goes back to look for it, and which lets Babs speak with Randall. What's the matter? Your father. He's here. Oh. Oh, he is. And he's looking for you. Uh, for us. I bet he doesn't know you. Well, he will guess who I am if he sees me with you. Yes. Yes, I, I suppose he will. So from now on, we're strangers. We mustn't be seen together. Oh, but Rodney, I... Now, now, dear, I, I know it's going to be difficult, but, but it won't be for long. Mm. I, I found a grand prospect tonight. A wealthy tobacco grower. How splendid. And Mr. Bassett. Here he comes. (laughs) Mr. Penfield is off searching for his daughter, and he spots her and Jerry. Bab spots Penfield, and she quickly gives Jerry a kiss and says goodnight, and then runs off. I love this little interchange between Penfield and the hotel manager, where he says, Mm. where do you think they could be? And the hotel manager says, oh, maybe on the golf course. And he says, yes, playing golf in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sir, it is quite romantic. It's quite romantic in the moonlight. (laughs) That's not a better thing to say to the father, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what he wants to hear. Golf is better. (laughs) Well, Mr. Penfield runs over to Jerry and actually kicks him in the butt. (laughs) Penfield. Yes, Penfield. I'll teach you to kidnap Stid. You can steal my daughter and get away with it. Is she your daughter? Is she? You know, you know very well she's my... I'll thrash you within an inch of your life. I'll I'll run you out of the country. Are you sure she's your daughter? Am I sure? Why, you insolent young puppy. So that is one identity mistake corrected and another one made because now we discover shortly thereafter that Penfield doesn't recognize Jerry as being or as being one of his former employees and actually thinks that he's Rodney Randall. I love this too because he actually perfectly proves Jerry's point about thinking people are the clothes that they're wearing because he doesn't even expect to recognize him because if he were in his, his laundry uniform he would try to place him but as he's not in that uniform he's in a tuxedo Penfield just assumes that he's somebody else entirely. Now this is the actually kind of the point I've really was having a hard time finding that sort of natural place to stop the synopsis. <laughs> uh, this this is where I decided to stop it because I think all but one of our players is kind of in the mix. We actually still have one more person to come in to kind of complicate <laughs> things in the form of a police detective. Uh, but and yet honestly, another mistaken identity. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. At least one. 
<laughs> and I think that's why I stopped it here because from this point on, there is just a lot of people mistaking everybody else for somebody else, and it would just end up being one long clip. And I feel <laughs> I like I've very already confusing. <laughs> it's very confusing. I feel like I've already kind of went a little clip heavy <laughs> with the synopsis as it is. <laughs> so yes, that is where I'm stopping the synopsis here. You're going to have to go watch the film for yourself. <laughs> this is about the 45-minute mark. you got about a half an hour to go or so. And we're not even in the thick of it yet. We're, we're getting Yeah, there, no, we're, we're really off. not. This has all been kind of <laughs> set up for the whole thing. This is a film that, if I remember right, when we came across it, you kind of perked up. It was one that you had seen before, isn't it? Yes, I recommended it. When we were in the process of watching some of our other pre-code films, I ran across a few different movies, and I just kept watching because they seemed interesting, and this was one of them. And I I loved it. I watched it again immediately as soon as I ended it. And then when we were looking for another film last month, I recommended it, and I highly recommend it. If you've gotten this far in the synopsis, then you if you haven't seen the movie, you need to go watch it. It. It's entertaining. It's delightful. The characters are intriguing. There's enough going on that you don't get bored at any point in it. Uh, it just, I highly recommend it. Obviously, I like it. So, <laughs> very good. Um, you're gonna be a little shocked. I mean, I'm not gonna say I didn't like it, but I didn't love it. It wasn't one that I really felt. Oh boy, I can't wait to watch that again. I didn't. I, sorry, Some I didn't the, actually hear what you said just now. I think my microphone might have cut out. I think you said you didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't say. I, I said I. It's not that I. It's not that I didn't like it. I just I didn't love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was. I mean, some of the characters were great. I, I liked a lot of them. I actually didn't care for uh, Babs, for Barbara, ah, Evelyn Knapp. I, I, it was actually more the way she talked. Oh, funny. She reminds me so much of Ginger Rogers. I actually mm. had a bit of a double take because um, she's she's blonde, but she's got that kind of round face and that real direct way of talking in this film. So she reminds me a lot of Ginger Rogers in her comedic roles. She had the weird uh, timber in her voice or something. I don't know how you describe it, but she would kind of do that. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, a a little bit. um, A little bit Barbara Stanwyck. Um, (laughs) Okay, interesting. Which, if you've ever seen the Lady Eve, she does that every once in a while, and it's almost she does it almost like it's a throwback to another joke, which. Oh, there's so many layers I could get into with that movie, (laughs) but she does have that kind of that wry almost kind of tone from time to time yes and i i think it's a little too often i mean just the way she she'll throw an entire sentence with that same style of talking it's like that's just the way she talked Mm -hmm. and it kind of annoyed me a bit (laughs) interesting Um, yeah uh and I guess there was a because it had to because the story said so I couldn't really figure out why she would give Jerry a false name when they first met I found that odd there was no reason for her to give him a false name well she does say it when she gets to the hotel and she's checking in and they greet her by her real name and they say is your father joining you no and if he asks you know I think it's more to do with um, maybe her well, that's a good question. I just assumed it was because she was heading off somewhere and didn't want her father to know where she was going. So if it got around that she was who she said, who she was, especially if this guy who's dressed pretty sharp knows who she is, it might get back to her father. But that was a lot of assumptions on my part. 
Right. So, so that was that was one thing that was kind of like, oh, this is one of those things that if that didn't happen, the rest of the movie wouldn't happen. I <laughs> or, or a good portion of the rest of the movie wouldn't have happened either. Yeah, not so. quite the way that it does. I think I think you could make a strong argument for it going a similar way still, but um, but yeah, I, there there are a few things in it. I think I was about to say I think the best character in this movie is actually Arthur Horman who is actually the writer of the story. <laughs> I think he, he has this idea that is just, it's witty and it's, it's great because you don't have a really good person being knocked down by these crooks. You have all these crooks kind of trying to knock each other down without knowing the others are crooks. And so it's like so rewarding to watch that. Even though they're not like evil people, it's, you know, it makes for humor and hijinks. So uh, I enjoy it so much because of... That sort of mix-up you would usually get where one person is really wealthy and the other person isn't. But in this case, you actually do have three guys who aren't who they say they are, pretending to be somebody else, and then still getting mistaken for somebody else yet. So it's just, it's such a good kind of convoluted storyline. It is, yeah. So uh, hats off to the writer just for being able to keep it straight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just yes. imagine his writing room and having the one of those like uh, you always see it in like the, the crime dramas where he has like the big <laughs> the notes and the string yes. and the <laughs> yes <laughs> flow charts. Who's who? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think probably one of my favorite scenes is actually just after I stopped the synopsis. Actually, is there's a scene with uh, Cornelius, Randall, and Jerry sitting at the table. They're all sharing yes. a drink. And Cornelius is trying to con Randall. Randall's trying to get Cornelius to invest in his subdivision scheme. And Randall's trying to get... He's thinking somebody will have money to give him for... uh, to buy his tobacco uh, <laughs> plantation. And Jerry's just like, you know, I've always wanted to imagine manage yeah. something. He's just looking for <laughs> yes. a good job. I love it. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're all three of them just trying so hard to to play each other not and you know i i just it cracks me up i just love the fact that jerry's the only one there that isn't really committing a crime right because <laughs> he's he's effectively just lying on his resume you know yes which is well yeah which is grounds for dismissal but 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 both he and babs are inherently they're not performing evil acts they're just trying to get what they want in life whereas Mm -hmm. the others are trying to trick other people into giving them what they want or you know selling them the glass diamond ring kind of thing so on a rating of one to five and just to uh, remind people that five is you know we think this movie is fantastic and you absolutely have to see it and zero or one you know that kind of speaks for itself then Uh, where would you put this you seem to really enjoy it you 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 recommended it you really liked it so where would you put it on that scale i would give it a five <laughs> but wow really but i think you have to bear in mind this movie like the car is a cream puff <laughs> 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 it's not everybody's taste and not everybody can afford it so <laughs> um, but i if i were going to recommend one of the movies that we've seen to a good friend this would probably be the one it'd be in the top five for sure because I, I think you guys all know me well enough to know that I need a happy ending. If it doesn't have a happy ending, it can't get a five from me unless it's something just incredibly dramatic and just incredibly mind-blowing. It's possible, but not as common. So in this case, the five is almost more an arbitrary 
would I recommend it to anybody? Yeah, I would. I'd recommend it to anybody. There's nobody that I would say, well, you know, you might not want to watch it if this or that. I think it's entertaining enough, it's quickly paced enough, and the characters are engaging enough that you're not going to struggle through it much. Um, the, the only people that are really going to hate it are, I think, people that just hate black and white movies. And there's a special level of hell for those people. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. But there's not a lot about it that is that's there to hate. It's just a good old-fashioned free-for-all kind of romp. And, you know, I mention it a lot, but the only one that I would really just comes to mind quickly place above it would be The Lady Eve. And as we all know, that's like... To me, that's the paragon of romantic comedies. <laughs> so, um, but it's, that, that it's, film has come up more often in this podcast uh, than the films that we've actually I know. talked about. <laughs> I really wish it was out of. I wish it was out of copyright so we could review it. But um, this this is just one of those. It's just a feel good, fun romantic comedy that doesn't rely too heavily on the romance. And I know that's probably shocking to hear that I like that, that I appreciate that. But a romance by itself is fine, but in a good setting and with a good storyline is even better. All right, fair enough. Now, I think you'll be surprised. I mean, I really was coming into this thinking I wasn't going to rate it very high at all. I honestly had a a two in my head. Uh, But I think I would say, you know, this is a film, like you were saying, it's really nice. I think this is a film that needs to be seen with somebody else. Hmm, I think this is a film where I think this would be a lot more fun if you had a friend, another friend that, like, if I sat down and watched this film with you, if we were in the same room and got the chance to actually watch this film together at the same time, Mm -hmm. I think I'd enjoy it more because it would be a little bit more of uh, an interplay between two people. You'd be laughing because the other one's laughing, and you'd be able to both cut. You'd be able to look. It's really fun to talk about. You'd be able to look over at each other and go, oh my gosh, he's in trouble now. You know, that kind of thing. You'd be able to kind of like play along with the film. Yes. But even then, I still think it would. I would give it a three if I was in that situation. <laughs> Sitting well, we there and watching know. it by myself, I just kind of like a two. I just, I, I really can't, you know, it, it wouldn't be the first one to come to mind for me to recommend that someone that, go watch. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, and, you know, again, we, obviously we add to our list every month of movies that we've seen. Um, there just aren't very many that I've run across and really remembered and really been excited to watch again. Um, so it's to- I'm not offended. You're still my friend. <laughs> um, you know, so in, and I think that partly it's expectations. You know, I, mm-hmm. I set this movie up for you a little bit as being really enjoyable to watch. So I kind of Jurassic Parked you. But, uh, <laughs> and then you get into it and go, wait, it's not as scary as everybody said it was. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, with this one, I was like, oh, it's so funny. It's so great. So, um, you know, to run across it is a happy accident. Uh, Definitely. And also, you know, as we both know, and I'm sure our our listeners are gathering by now, I talk to myself when I'm watching movies. So I loved watching it with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see you go. You had that experience of sitting with somebody. It was great. But no, I, I, I agree with you that it is definitely, uh, it's one that's enjoyable with another person. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is probably, after all the films that we've covered, this is probably the largest gap between our ratings. Oh, We're definitely. usually within a point, usually like a half a point, honestly. <laughs> so this is this is the biggest gap we've ever had. Well, you could probably talk me down to a four, 
but I really I really just enjoyed it and honestly I'm gonna watch it again before next month so <laughs> I'm, I'm totally happy to just watch it again yeah fantastic so there you go this maybe maybe this is the film that really gets people talking because they're yeah. gonna they're gonna go watch it themselves and see on which side of the of <laughs> the scale they, they fall on yeah. <laughs> well and it's you know uh, the online ratings for it are middling they're not exceptional so um my comparison to another film which i won't say the name of again just to give you a little <laughs> bit of a break there is not a straight comparison it's more you know oh gosh it's like saying that jj field looks like tom hiddleston I, they do it's freaky guys go look it up it's really creepy but <laughs> um it's more just of the movies we watch this one is the most similar to that so um so yeah if you watch it and you hate it you know that that's okay we can still be friends absolutely uh, absolutely <laughs> no <laughs> well i want to thank everyone for listening to the last uh, orphan entertainment podcast no <laughs> <laughs> ever ever <laughs> <laughs> so we will be back in another month with another film because we will continue. There are so many more films out there that we have yet to discover. And we, and, you know, and like we've always said, even though I didn't really love watching this film, I still absolutely love talking about it with you, Lydia. So thank you very much for joining me on this one. Thank you. The feeling is mutual. So I want to remind everybody that if you have seen this film or if you go out and see this film after you've heard this, let us know what you thought. Join the Facebook group and leave a comment or send us an email at orphanentertainment at gmail.com. Like I said, type it out or record a message if you like and send it our way. We'd be thrilled to hear from you either way. So I think that's going to do it. Yep, Lydia, thanks very much. I guess I'll t talk to you again real soon. Yep, sounds good. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. What do you think? Mr. Bezard, with a few minor alterations, <laughs> you look positively magnificent. Magnificent. Positively beautiful. <laughs>